Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Thank you. It's good to be here. Happy to see you. How you doing? All right, great. Some of you may not know me, some of you do, so I thought I'd introduce myself. Who is this guy kind of thing? Uh, my wife Marilyn and I are pastors of New Day. We oversee the second service at Nichols on Sunday mornings. We have two services up there, 9 and 11. We oversee the 11 o'clock, which works out good. Our kids, Mike and Aaliyah, they're here with me today. Marilyn's at the women's retreat, so she is not. Um, but it works out good. We like to sleep in a little more than we used to. So second service is good for us. We're enjoying that quite a bit. Um, we were a big part of this church when it launched right here. We uh, came down every other week. So we were doing Nichols one week, Vandalia one week for, I think, a year. I think we said six months, and I think we stayed on for a year. So if you've been around since the beginning, you do know us. And if you're uh, newer to Vandalia, I'm glad you're here. And I'd love to meet you after if I haven't uh, met you before. So this year, our uh, sermon theme, does anybody know what it is? There's three good clues up front. Did I hear it? Grace and truth. Yes, it's grace and truth. That's the theme for the whole year this year. We're talking about grace and truth. It comes from the verse in uh, John 1 that says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so we've been learning about uh, what is grace, we've started to learn about what does it mean for the life of the church, for your life. Um, We've learned, you know, Jesus embodies grace and truth. He was grace and truth in the flesh. He's fully grace and fully truth all the time. I don't know about you, I sometimes struggle with that, finding full grace and full truth in my daily interactions with people. Sometimes I'm full of truth and justice when uh, they do me wrong. Sometimes I'm full of grace when my sweet little daughter does something wrong and and gives me that little cute look, right? (laughs) But Jesus was fully grace and fully truth all the time. That's amazing, and you could spend a whole year just talking about that alone. But alas, we don't have that much time today, so we're going to get into our specific series, which has been Grace Callings. We've been talking about five types of people given to the church, and this is pop quiz time. And I'm not going to put it up there just to see, you know, we warmed up with an easy quiz question. The answer was right behind me. But this time, you got to work for it a little bit. There were five types of people given. It was A-P-E-S-T. So there's the one clue. Do you remember what A stood for? Apostle. Apostle, yep. The P? Prophet. Prophet, yep. Not profitable, but like profit with a P-H. It's a little different. Uh, what was the E? Evangelist, very good. The, the S? Shepherd. Shepherd, that's today. So if you're wondering about that one, that's all right. We haven't covered it yet. And the, the T at the end. Teacher. Teacher, good job. You guys have been paying attention. Quiz passed. You all move on to the next grade. Glad to say it. Um, yeah, just a note. Um, prophet was early on in the series. We didn't go in that same order that the verse goes in, and we'll read the verse in a minute. Prophet was early on. It can be one that raises a lot of questions, and I really would encourage you to go to celebrate one tonight because Stephanie Jones, who's the past, one of the pastors of New Day, South Carolina, is particularly anointed in that area of the prophetic. 
and she's going to talk about that. It would be a really great experience for you, and it's not too far down the road. Not all the way up to Nichols. It's right there at Celebrate One, so I'd encourage you to check it out. She is amazing, and we'll have a great word to share with you. Okay, so the Grace Calling series. Just a little bit of background on the whole series. This is the, uh, the fifth and final installment, so you're probably familiar but I wanted to cover again the basis for the whole series. I broke it down into these five bullets for you. These people were gifts of grace given by Jesus himself. The gift is the people, five different types, and they were given to equip the Lord's people to serve. That's you. And the, the reason all these four things are happening, number five, is to build something, to build unity and maturity in the people of God. So... Let's read from Ephesians 4 where it talks about this. It says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's one of those run-on sentences. I feel like you just got to read it that way. Sometimes you get in a Paul letter in the New Testament and you're like, does this guy know how to punctuate? Where are the periods? And uh, those who study, like, it probably, it wasn't written with punctuation. So I guess he's all good. But anyways, I like some punctuation. That's a run-on sentence. And I thought, let's just break it down. We'll show you where each of those five things I talked about are in Ephesians chapter 4. The first was that these are gifts of grace. It says it twice right here, bold and underlined for you. Grace has been given. He gave gifts to his people. Who did? Jesus. Christ himself gave. So these are gifts of grace from Jesus. The gifts are the five types of people. See, it says Christ himself gave, and it goes right into this list of people. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why were they given? To equip you for works of service. Those five types of people aren't the ones intended to to do it all, to make the church happen. They're intended to equip you to make it happen, to give you what you need to make it happen in your life and in this faith community, New Day Vandalia. When all that stuff goes on, the fifth thing we saw was that there's building. It's a building project, a church building project, to build unity and maturity. That's how I summed up that run-on sentence. We're building unity and maturity. And it's so good. There's the five again. All right, so that's a little review. That's our backdrop for today in the Grace Calling series as we wrap up. I held up my fingers when we did the little pop quiz, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, and I was thinking to myself, did I get them right? Because Pastor Cameron shared an analogy using the five fingers. I actually did. So in order, the thumb represents the apostle. My thumb is bigger around than my other fingers, although all of them are pretty thin. Uh, But it's big picture thinking. The apostle is about that big picture thinking and a counterbalance to the other four. The prophet is like the pointer, pointing us the way we should go, pointing us to the word of God, and pointing out when things are not going right. The evangelist is like the middle finger, just a little bit longer reach than the others. (laughs) That outreach element of the church. The pastor or shepherd, as we're going to call him the rest of the morning, or her, is the ring finger. 
Your ring finger, if you're married like me, is where you got your wedding band. Yep, so this is talking all about relationship and nurture and care. And then the pinky is the teacher. Grandma Keg was here last week talking about the teacher. And the teacher, which he is one, can get into those small places and talk about the finer details and really help us to understand our faith and what it means. Get into those small places. I joked with Nichols last week, um, you know, the pinky, thinking about getting in small places. Don't get caught picking your nose during church. I know we're talking about the pinky. I did this, but don't get caught picking your nose in church. There's Kleenex in the seat in front of you in many places. We have Kleenex. We'd love to care for you in that way this morning if you need to take care of a little boogie. You want to hear a joke? How do you make a Kleenex dance? You put a little boogie in it. You've heard that one. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. I think we should start stand up comedy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll try that. I won't give up my day job. Okay, um, so I don't know how many of you have been around church for a long time. I have, a very long time. I may look 17, but I'm a little older than that. And I've been around the church for a long time. And I'm kind of nerdy. You saw the table, right? I'm an engineer by trade. That's what I do all day, every day. And so, man, a good spreadsheet makes me a happy guy. I'm a little nerdy. And so growing up, I'd hear people talk about Pastor so-and-so. Isn't he so great? Pastor so-and-so. And I was like, are they saying pastor or pastor? I think sometimes they were actually saying pastor. It's two different words. And the nerd in me cares very much about that. And so I thought I'd, I'd just answer that question for you. Pastor is a word we use that means shepherd. And shepherds take animals out to pasture to feed them and water them. So mystery solved. But that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. Pastor Mark's a great guy, isn't he? You should call him Pastor Mark all the time, just, just to mess with him. Yeah, yeah, you can give him a round of applause. Um, so the Greek word, that uh, the verse I read to you, the NIV translates it, pastor. Um, the Greek word there, poimen, I think is how you pronounce it. It means shepherd, like I said. And a way we could define it is someone who the Lord raises up to care for the total well-being of his flock, the people of the Lord. So that's, that's what we're getting into today. I want to give you... Three key takeaways. I'll put the same slide up again at the end, but I want you to know what's coming. Here's the things we're going to look at today. Jesus is the good shepherd. Spoiler alert, he's the good shepherd. We're going to talk all about good shepherd imagery in the Old Testament and what it leads to. It leads to Jesus. That's the end of the story. Jesus has given what I call under-shepherds, those given to the church. Remember, Christ gave the apostles, the, blah, 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 the pastors or shepherds to the church. So he's given these under shepherds. He led the way in being the good shepherd. He showed what a good shepherd looked like. And then he's assigned people to shepherd uh, the flock, his church, to care for them in that same way. And the third thing I want to leave you at the end with a challenge, to make room to be shepherded. Hopefully all five weeks you've been challenged to make room for the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher in your life. All right, this is where I'm supposed to keep moving. Otherwise, we're going to be here all day. I'm sure you guys can listen fast. So if I talk fast and you listen fast, we've got this agreement. We won't be here too late for lunch and get hungry. The kids will be upset. Like, it'll just be a mess. So if you promise to listen fast, I promise to finish on time. We're on track so far, so that's good. I mean, the donuts down here are just terrific. So we don't want to, we don't want to wait too long to get to those. All right, 
in the Old Testament, there's an archetype. Like there's imagery that builds this thing called shepherd for hundreds of years. Real people and the stories we read about in the Old Testament were building an example of shepherd and what it means. Excuse the squeaky water bottle. It's really convenient. It doesn't spill, but it makes a little noise. You'll have to excuse me on that one. So the first shepherd mentioned in the Old Testament is right in the beginning in Genesis. One of the first sons of Adam and Eve is Abel. And Abel is a shepherd, a keeper of the flocks, and he brings this pleasing sacrifice to the Lord, and it's very notable. Jesus, like Abel, shepherds the flock of God. He brings a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord, which is himself on the cross. He cares for his people. Um, Like Abraham, Jesus is the carrier of a promise and the leader of a nation, the nation of the people of God, which we are included in now. In the Old Testament, it was like actual bloodlines. Now in the New Testament, we're by grace folded into the people of God and and Jesus is the leader of that. Like Moses, he leads his people out of captivity. Now in the Old Testament, the people were in captivity in Egypt. They were literally slaves doing labor for the Egyptians. In our day, what that looks like is captivity to sin and death and destruction. And through Jesus, his sacrifice and his lead as good shepherd, he leads us out of that captivity through the wilderness to a promised land. He cares for our needs along the way. You remember how the people ate manna that fell from heaven, a daily portion every day? They ate ate water. It was really chewy back then. The water was not good quality. It came from a rock. It was a little hard to eat. Water came from the rock. They were fed um, in the wilderness. And Jesus feeds and waters the flock of the people of God in the same way. And there are more shepherd promises. We'll go to just a couple later in the message this morning. And there are rebukes of bad shepherds. Jesus stands in contrast to the bad shepherds who get rebuked in the books of the prophets in the Old Testament. And probably the most famous shepherding verse of all, you could guess it, Ezekiel 37. No, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And we're going to look through the lens of Psalm 23 and John chapter 10, where Jesus talks about shepherding, to understand shepherding in a little more detail and what it means when Jesus claims the role of the good shepherd. So let's start there. I'll read it to you. Psalm 23, 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then let's read from John 10, and then we'll back up and look at bits and pieces along the way. It says, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Pasture. (laughs) The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So like I said, we're going to look through these two lenses at shepherding. I've got three points for you in this part of the message. In the care of the shepherd, the sheep are led, sorry, are fed, 
led, and not dead. <laughs> See how those rhyme? That's good preaching technique right there. Three rhyming points for you, so it's memorable and easy. Fed, led, and not dead. I've been enjoying being not dead this week. I don't know about you. I was woke up, I'm like, hmm, I'm not dead today. Feels good. I'm just joking. Feel free to laugh or not at any point in the stand-up comedy routine uh, that Luke encouraged me to do. Okay, let's get on to the Bible teaching. You guys seem ready for the Bible teaching. We're done on the joke part. We'll get on to the Bible teaching. Okay, great. The, the sheep are fed. So what does that look like? In Psalm 23, remember, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me to green pastures and still waters. So green pastures and still waters is the daily grazing and watering of the flock. The daily needs are met by the Lord, the good shepherd. And then the part that says, I lack nothing, it's above and beyond just the daily needs being met. The good shepherd, the Lord, my shepherd, when I'm in the care of the good shepherd, I lack nothing. You name it, I lack nothing. I don't lack it. The, the uh, King James says, uh, I shall not want. I want for nothing. There's nothing that needs to be added to me to be complete because the Lord is my shepherd. That's the image there in Psalm 23. Jesus similarly says, they come in and go out and find pasture. The sheep in the care of the good shepherd find pasture. That's that day-to-day meeting of the needs, feeding and watering. And then there's that verse, John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, life to the full. The Greek word, one more Greek word, I promise I'll be done after this. Only two Greek words, that's enough. Uh, Perisos means life to the full. It says super abundant in quantity, superior in quality, excessive. Right? So that's that above and beyond, just like we saw in Psalm 23. Jesus has come to give you the daily needs that you have and abundant life, full life, complete life, superior life. You lack nothing under his care. I love these quizzes today. What was the second one? Fed? Led. You got it. So if you're thinking like I'm about to get an x-ray at the dentist and they lay that heavy thing on me, the lead vest, that's not the one I mean at all. I mean lead as in like being led, someone who leads you out to pasture. Okay. Not a good joke either. Not all my jokes are so bad, but just on the shepherding Sunday, they... Okay. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. I'm trying, guys. Courtesy chuckles are accepted. You know, you can throw a penny in the hat as you leave for the, the comedy routine. All right. <laughs> Sheep in the care of the good shepherd are led. In Psalm 23, it says, He guides me along the right paths. And the picture here, we've got to kind of rewind the clock. We'll go back to late, great 1998. No, we've got to go farther. We've got to go to eight ancient Middle Eastern village life to understand what the right paths might mean. So picture small village. Vandalia is a small village, but picture ancient small village, like small huts, a little village, the one dirt path down the middle, and then we, we have flocks. We all have some sheep and some whatevers, and at the end of the night, we just, we just put them all together, and we lock them up. We keep them safe. There's this narrow gate and doorway that's easy to protect, only one way in and out. Nobody's going to sneak in from the back and steal our animals. And then when day dawns, those who are going to go out and do the shepherding, go open the gate, and this whole mess of sheep spill into our one street. And we watch these shepherds day after day, get them 
and start leading them out. And there are these well-worn paths into the countryside because they go out. You know, when we're going north, we go north and it goes out this way. We graze the sheep close to home where there's good grazing. And as the season goes on or it gets picked over, we go a little farther, a little farther, a little farther. And so there's kind of two images, these well-worn right paths. The shepherd's taking me where I know to go to feed me and care for me. And then as you get farther and farther away, the shepherd needs to know where to go to find the good grazing. It's not the easy, obvious stuff anymore. The good shepherd leads me along these right paths to where I need to go. That's the picture there. Jesus kind of builds on it. Uh, He says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So I wanted to share a story with you. Um, Again, Middle Eastern village life. There's this military that has taken over the village and they lock up all the people's sheep in one place and they won't let them have them. Military occupation. Um, not, not occupation like your job, but like you're occupied. They're here. They're saying how things go, curfew, whatever. Sheep are all locked up. And this woman, her husband is a prisoner of war, so he's gone. She's got a young son and just 12 sheep. And she realizes if we don't have our sheep, I, I don't know how long this occupation is going to last. I don't know if we're going to make it. We need to get our sheep back. So her and her son go to the soldier guarding the sheep, and she says, please, 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 if we can get our 12 out of this mix of several hundred or whatever sheep, and we can do it without making a disturbance, would you please let us have our 12 sheep so we can survive? And they kind of laugh at her. They're like, how are you going to do that? You say you can do it without creating a disturbance? Get your 12 out of this whole mixed up mess of wool and whatever? Go for it. I'd like to see you try. And so she has her young shepherd boy son give his call to the sheep, and, and they open up the gate. And um, at the risk of my own embarrassment, I'll, I'll give you the, the interpretive dance of it. You know, there's this mix, this woolly mess of sheep, and the shepherd boy calls, and then 12 heads pop up and start looking around because these 12 sheep know the voice of their shepherd, and they pay attention. The rest don't because he's not their shepherd. And those 12 separate themselves out from the flock and come out. And sure enough, this son and uh, his mother are able to get their sheep back. The soldiers learn their lesson. Luckily for us, uh, the, the story can be shared to illustrate the lesson in a spiritual sense of what Jesus was talking about when he said, call my sheep by name and lead them out. Picture that morning in the village, calling and leading out. And they know the voice of their shepherd. Why do they know the voice of their shepherd? It's because there's a relationship built on trust over time. My shepherd led me in good paths before to feed me, to provide for me the things that I need to survive. And I've learned his call. I've learned his voice. He brings me home safe every night. That's my shepherd, and I follow. In a spiritual sense, that's that's the call to us, to learn the voice of the good shepherd, to learn his call, to tune in, to be sheep that pop your head up <laughs> in this mixed flock of a world to pop our heads up when the good shepherd calls to us and go his way to be led. All right, the third one, I already put it up there so we can't do another quiz. Not dead. It's my personal favorite because I thought it was funny. In Psalm 23, it says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
And so the picture here is that, um, remember, if you graze what's good and close to home, but you live in a really dry place, not like Michigan, look how wet it is and how green it is here. But in the place where this was written, when David wrote Psalm 23, he lived in a pretty dry place. And when your sheep eat up all the good stuff, you can't count on the rain to grow up some new. You might have to go further and go further. And so shepherds in that time would actually build sheepfolds out in the wilderness, far from home, because they couldn't always come home every night. That's the plan. Ideally, come home to your family, all the supplies of the village, and go back out the next day. But you may have to travel far to get the grazing that the sheep need. And so there are times you're going to have to go through the darkest valley. And the picture that David is painting here is when you travel far and you go through these dangerous spots where there's a narrow place. Again, we're kind of flat here. We've got some rolling hills. But in the Mideast where he was talking about, there could be these kind of sheer, almost like cliffs. And you have to go between two to get to the other side to get where you're leading your sheep. It's an incredibly dangerous spot where robbers or wild animals could lie in wait. And so that is not where the sheep want to go. That's a dangerous place. But I fear no evil for you, the good shepherd, are with me. That's what David's talking about. And then I love this. He's more specific. Your rod and your staff comfort me. The rod was a tool of defense. Think of a big, fat, spiked club that the shepherd could beat off a predator or a robber with. That's what the the rod is meant uh, to envision and what it was used for. The staff is a different kind of tool. Rather than defending the sheep at his own peril with the rod, the staff is more of a, a tool. You can picture like the tall walking staff with a shepherd's crook on top um, is a good thing to picture here. Used to scoop sheep out of trouble. Maybe they fell and you want to scoop them back up and rescue a sheep. But the most interesting thing, I think, is coming into the sheepfold at the end of the day. Remember I said it was narrow so uh, robbers couldn't get in as easy. Out in the wilderness, you build a sheepfold. There's one narrow entrance. So you can easily defend it at night. That's where the shepherd would sleep, right at the entrance. But as he's bringing the sheep in at the end of the day, he would set horizontally the shepherd's staff across the entrance, and he'd start counting sheep. Hopefully he doesn't fall asleep before he gets done. That was a joke about falling asleep counting sheep. But um, he'd lay the staff across, and as the sheep, can you imagine like big woolly sheep, this mess of sheep going in? That would be tough to count. And I could see why he'd put a staff, a line right across the top, and as each little nose or each little head goes across, you go one, two, and you start counting. So the picture here, your staff comforts me, Lord my shepherd, because you keep count. You're not just leading some big flock. Jesus loves the world. Right? We say that, and it's true, but he doesn't just love the world. He doesn't just care for the flock. He cares for each and every one. And he's counting each and every one to make sure he brings them home safe. That's a good word right there. When you need comfort, that's good to know that Jesus, the good shepherd, wants to bring you all the way home safe. He's counting you each and every night to make sure you're cared for and you're coming home safe. That is a good shepherd. John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And shepherding was a pretty sacrificial work, right? You're out far and wide caring for these animals all the time on their schedule. Your, your whole job is to care for their needs. You're defending them. 
at the risk of your own life at times. That's the rod. Jesus laid down his life. He went to the cross to care for our ultimate need, our eternal salvation. That's why he said the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then the staff thing. Jesus talks about this in another place. The crook to save. I came to seek and save the lost. And he talks about counting sheep in Luke 15. There's a trio of parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. If you're not familiar, check it out later. But the lost sheep parable is talking about a shepherd who counts 99 out of 100 in the flock with the staff at the end of the night and one's missing. And he says, well, tough luck for him. Maybe we'll find him tomorrow. I'm just kidding. He doesn't. He says, leave the 99 and go and find the one. Can you imagine at the end of a long work day, you come home, you're ready to just relax and there's one missing. I was just going to lay down at the entrance to the fold here we're out in the wilderness sheepfold and go to sleep and there's one missing. The good shepherd goes out to seek and save the lost sheep. He's not too tired. He cares that much. All right. So that's the example of good shepherd that Jesus lays out, that David painted the picture that Jesus fulfills, fed, led, not dead. All right. So let's look at these under-shepherds, those assigned to follow in Jesus' example and care for the people of God that now that Jesus is no longer walking the earth with his people. So it was prophesied that there would be under-shepherds to care for the people of God long, long ago, hundreds of years before Jesus. Um, in Jeremiah, we can read these two verses that talk about it. It says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Sounds like what we've been talking about, doesn't it? It's that same template. Shepherds who will lead, who will tend, who will care, who will protect. When we fast forward hundreds of years and get into the New Testament, Paul is giving a farewell to the leaders of the church in Ephesus, a church that he spent a lot of time investing in. And he's saying this final farewell. It's really interesting what he says. He says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So the appeal of Paul to the leaders of the church that he cared for and started was be shepherds. Remember, Jesus bought these people with his blood. He bought you with his blood. Follow his example. Lead, shepherd, care. That's what Paul said. Well, Paul says that it's not in red letters. So we should look at what Jesus said too. I put it up here once, but Jesus three times after he died, rose again, and he's walking the earth for this short time before he ascends to heaven. He's with Peter, who's also known as Simon, the son of John. And he says, Simon, do you love me? Peter answers, yeah, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. So poignant, full of emotion. He does this three times. Why would he do that three times? He's doing two things, I think. One is he's, he's restoring Peter. If you remember, Peter said, I'll follow you right to death, Jesus. Jesus says, well, before you hear the rooster crow, you're going to deny me three times on my way to the cross. That's going to happen. And it did. And Peter was broken up about it. He denied his Lord right after he said, I'll go all the way to death with you. 
And Jesus is here. Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. I think he's saying, Peter, you have what it takes. I'm assigning you to shepherd my people. I'm restoring you. I believe in you, even though you screwed up. And we both know it. And I predicted it. And it, and it tore you to bits. You have what it takes. You're my man to do the job. Care for my people. Lead my people. I think the other thing Jesus is doing is sharing that shepherd's heart with Peter. You can just hear it in, this, in the voice of Jesus, as I imagine it. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Care for the flock. Jesus loves his people so much. And that's the appeal to Peter here. Feed my sheep. There are a lot of examples of that heart of the shepherd in Jesus and what he has um, laid as the example for under-shepherds to care for his people. Um, And the one word that kind of sums it up is compassion. And it's used again and again throughout the New Testament in the ministry of Jesus. I wanted to give you a couple of examples of the heart of the shepherd, which is compassion. Um, In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is just looking for some time to relax. Every village he goes to, he's literally squeezed in by crowds. He's pressing through crowds to go everywhere he goes. Every time he sits down to a meal at a house, there's a crowd. There's people dropping their buddies in from the roof to get healed. There's, can you come here and heal my daughter? Can you, my son is sick, my servant is sick. It is endless. And so Jesus sends the crowds away and hops in a boat with his disciples and goes to the other side of the lake. And when he gets there, what does he find? A crowd. Yep. (laughs) There they are. They spotted him in the boat. They ran around to the other side and met him there. And so he said, you guys, just go away. No, he didn't. (laughs) He didn't. He had compassion. Mark 6, Jesus landed and saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's the shepherd's heart. When he sees sheep without a shepherd, he wants to provide. In Matthew 14, it says, Jesus landed... He lands on, from boats, and there's always a crowd. It's a lot like our life at home. We have a little pond in the backyard and a canoe. We hop in this. You can get four or five paddles before you're to the other side. And every time we land, there's a crowd just wanting to, you know, hear some teaching from the Bible. Okay, that doesn't happen to us, but apparently it happens to Jesus everywhere he goes. He lands and sees a crowd, and this time he has compassion on them and heals their sick. So compassion drives him to care for the sheep to heal the sick. In Mark chapter 8, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. He goes on to feed 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread. So the sick get healed, the hungry get fed. And then in Luke 15, remember we talked about a trio of parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And it was in response to the Pharisees who are challenging Jesus, like, why are you hanging out with sinners? Why do you care about that? Ultimately, his answer was, I've come to seek and save the lost. That's my heart. That's the heart of God. And the most, the climax of the three, really, is in the parable of the, parable of the prodigal son, which is really all about the compassionate father. It should be named the parable of the compassionate father, because here at the climax, it's a, Jesus says this about his heart and the heart of God. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So the compassion of the good shepherd is to save the lost, to restore the lost to relationship. 
we said we were talking about three things. Here they are. In closing. That's the preacher's way of letting you know he's almost done. In closing, the three takeaways. Jesus is the good shepherd. We talked about what that means, to be fed, led, and not dead, defended by the good shepherd. And then in that same template, in that same way, there are under-shepherds assigned to the people of God today to follow Jesus' example in caring for us, equipping us, as it said in Ephesians 4, to equip us, God's people, for works of service, to build unity and maturity in the church. There are shepherds given to tend the flock. And then I wanted to leave you with this challenge, to make room to be shepherded in your life. Learn to hear the voice of the good shepherd when he calls. It's not, um, it's not like an innate thing. You're not born knowing how to hear the call of the good shepherd. It's developed over time. It's by listening and hearing that you get more and more familiar with what the voice of God sounds like. You know, you're driving along and you just think to get a gift for a friend. Lo and behold, you show up and they're having a really tough week when you brought them a gift. You heard the voice of the good shepherd and next time you're a little more familiar with what that sounds like. You pick up your Bible on whatever day and you read a verse and you're like, oh, that just kind of stands out to me. Later in the day, it really applies to the situation you came across. That's the voice of the good shepherd. And next time when a verse stands out in the morning, you really pay more attention because you're learning to hear the voice of the good shepherd in your life. And there are many examples of that, of what that could look like. But the challenge is to tune in and to be led by the good shepherd. You know, our, our culture today is really opposite of that. The world would tell you to be independent, an independent man or woman. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whatever that means. <laughs> I don't have bootstraps. I got little shoes with laces on them. But that's what they would tell you. You know, make a name for yourself. Earn your million. You know, prove to them that you can do it, that you've got what it takes. You don't need anyone. You can be your own king, queen, ruler of your own life, your own leader. But that's not the call for the people of God. We run counter to that culture our call is to be led by the good shepherd, to tune into his voice, to go where he leads us and guides us, to build trust over time that is a good, strong relationship, to be healthy sheep, right? If we follow his leading, we're going to be fed, we're going to be watered, we're going to be strong, healthy sheep who are doing good, who can then start to be sheep to follow. In 1 Corinthians uh, Paul says, follow me, follow my example as I follow Christ. And that's where we're going. If we make room to be shepherded, then remember the story of the little shepherd boy and his mom and, and the, and the hmm? we can be the first heads to pop up when the voice of the shepherd calls. And other people will see us do that. And what are you looking at? And then they look up, not because they knew the shepherd's voice yet, but because they saw you. So make room to be shepherded so others can follow you. Lord Jesus. Would you stand with me? We're going to close in a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning that you would spend hundreds of years developing the image of a shepherd, what it means to be a good shepherd. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the good shepherd that you embody that thing, that you've shown us what it means to be full of compassion for your people. You love us so much and you would go all the way to the cross. Literally, you would go through hell and back 
for us. That's good shepherding. And Lord, I just pray that your people of New Day Vandalia would see your compassion and your sacrifice in a greater way today, that they would make room for you to shepherd them this week. God, we just catch a glimpse sometimes during worship or when we hear a message of what your heart is. Help us not to lose the glimpse of your goodness as we go this week into our lives. Help us to be good sheep who follow your lead, who know your voice, who set an example, who bring others into the fold. So I just want to ask you guys, um, we're going to close, but I want you to take a minute to respond. I'm all teared up over it. Take a minute to respond to the heart of the Good Shepherd. And I want to give you a couple ways you could do that. You could come and see the prayer team afterwards and join with somebody in prayer to um, become a sheep of Jesus if you've not already started a relationship with him. If you have a relationship with Jesus, come and pray. If you want to hear his voice better, you can ask for that. Come and, and share what you've been going through with somebody and know what it is to be comforted by the rod and the staff of the Good Shepherd. You could also see a friend later. You know, there's nothing special about um, seeing the prayer team. You can pray as a family or with friends and respond as well. But make room this week to be shepherded.